Thank you for tuning in to episode 83 of the MTB podcast, presented and hosted by Worldwide Cyclery. I am Jeff. I'm Liam. I'm Jared. I like cookies. <laughs> uh, in, in this episode of the podcast, we're going to give a quick take on our favorite recent mountain bike rides. Uh, we're going to go into drivetrain tier comparisons. What the heck is the difference between SLX, XT, XTR, etc.? Uh, handlebars, materials, rise, sweep, width, Common Sol's care program. We're actually going to hear from a guest, Mike Reichs, who is the one of the race organizers of the Pikes Peak Apex race. What else does he do? He helps organize other races in the Colorado Springs area. Yeah, he knows yeah, a lot about other it. We're cool gonna, races. We're gonna, cool. We're going to hear from him on the current state of mountain bike racing given the pandemic and actually some quick tips from him on how to start a mountain bike race or event yourself if you're so interested in something like that. And we're going to answer some listener questions around uh, mixing drivetrain brand components and also preferred geometry for former BMX riders. Whew. That's a lot of stuff. Oh, let's do it. All right, let's We're go. We're getting into this. Let's We're do getting it. into this. DJ Pineapple, play a sound effect. All right, favorite rides. Wow. Favorite rides. Liam, what's your most recent favorite ride? Most recently, uh, I've been getting on the Curly Bar bike, which is gravel bike. What does or- that mean? Yeah, gravel bike, drop drop bar, handlebars, um, all-road bike, whatever you want to call it, really. Um, I just call it the curly bar bike. It's for going longer distance. A uh, couple buddies, some shop friends, we did. We want to do a Santa Barbara front country and back country ride where we started on the front country, climbed up and over the mountain, descended the backside, traversed the back country, and then went back up and over to the front side where we started. Um, we pretty much ended up doing 55 miles with 8,000 feet of climbing on gravel bikes. Uh, most of it was on like mountain bike trails and yeah, it was pretty brutal. Um, I haven't gone that deep in a while. The descending, I've, I've really found out that descending on drop bars and dirt <laughs> is not my preferred <laughs> method of descending. Yeah, that's tough. Gravel bike, you can do these longer rides, but then you also want to ride single track, and then your just head is rattling around. And... Well, yeah, we weren't on single track descending because, um, yeah, I'm, that's where I draw the line. But it was still, like, a pretty rough fire road. Oh, yeah. So, and, like, your back hurts in ways. Your back has never hurt before. You probably whole body. <laughs> like, you get so, off and you're just like. But, yeah, oh. uh, hitting that 8K of climbing. Is, uh, I haven't done that in probably over a year or so in one ride. That was pretty heavy. I'm tired just thinking about yeah, it, honestly. Yeah, it feels good. I like, I like doing that. Um, wow. Yeah. What about you, Jeff? You riding bikes? Yeah. My recent most memorable one. So I'm currently training for this multi-sport adventure race where you do a bunch of mountain biking, kayaking, and trail running. So I put in a 50-mile a ride back-to-back with a 20-mile trail run. Uh, the 50 miles I did on what I call a gravel bike, which doesn't have curly bars. It's got flat bars because I could just not ever ride curly bars um so i did 50 miles on that bike uh that was just over four thousand feet of climbing in that 50 miles and then i went straight into a 20 mile trail run which also had uh just over four thousand feet of elevation and yeah it took me 11 hours and 19 minutes it was a long one was, elapsed was, time or moving time uh that's moving time wow cool yeah. Yeah. it was a total of 71.32 miles 
That was a good one. I've been trying to just do these like really long ones because I'm realizing that when you go over six hours, then it like really like nutrition is a really big deal. Like yeah. you're just going to get depleted on electrolytes and all these other various things and have problems. So totally. that was a good, like memorable, fun one that I did recently, which yeah. was, yeah, 50 mile bike ride right into a 20 mile trail run. It's good fun. Wow. And, uh, that six hour mark is really where uh, you can't rely on like stupidity and fitness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you it takes a plan. plan. You got to build that fitness. You have to eat properly. Um, Yeah, the six-hour mark kind of where I call the the, my limit on a bike. After that, I'm not getting paid for this. Yeah, (laughs) like how do you carry that much like water and food with you? You're stopping and yeah, you can't refilling at certain places. Yeah, I had a uh, one of those filters. So Beefree is that company that makes that filter that you can like fill up in various fresh water sources or a hose or whatever, and then Mm -hmm. just like filter the water through. So I was doing that, and then I did kind of a like a home base, right? So I went out from home, did the 50 miles back to home, ate some food, got some water, changed in my trail running kit, and then went out and did the trail run, and then went back. But yeah, I did have a little panic attack about running out of water and then happened to find uh, one of those little like water spigots down in Sycamore Canyon where I was yeah. running and I was really grateful for that. Nice. Starting to hallucinate a little bit towards the end <laughs> of that thing. And I mean, it started at it started at 9 a.m. and I didn't get home until what, like 1030 because that was like the total time with like the one little small break in the middle. So, wow. Yeah, I was out all day. It was an all day. Wow. It was fun, though. What about you? Well, what, um, what you got going, yeah, Jared? you guys are doing a great job of making me look bad. So <laughs> yeah, I've just been cruising around Sycamore Canyon. I really like it right there because I live right next to it. So, yeah, just been putting loops together in there. And yeah, Sycamore Canyon, really nice. for those that don't know, is because there's probably a lot of Sycamore Canyons. I yeah, feel like that's probably. like a Springfield, like yeah. every state has one. <laughs> right. Um, that's that's on the backside of Santa Monica Mountains, which is about. Mm, 35 to 40 miles northwest of LA, mm-hmm. Los Angeles. Yeah, it's um, actually technically Point Magoo State Park as well. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, yeah, good fun. So, you've just been doing loops in there? Yeah. The Uge? Yeah, the Uge. I, you know, just really like riding in there. It's super relaxing, especially, you know, after work or, you know, long week. And just, you know, there's not a lot of people that go in there on the bike trails. So, when the chill times, it's, it's a very nice yeah. place to go. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. That is a beautiful place. It really is. I like it there. Yeah. Um, sweet. Well, let's jump right into drivetrain tier comparisons. Are you ready? Yeah. I'm ready. So ready. this is a question that I think we've gotten forever. And then they're actually, we have two videos that are in within both within the top five of our most viewed YouTube videos ever. One of them is a uh, Shimano comparison. And the other video is a SRAM comparison. And in each one of those videos, uh, we dissect what is the difference between, for example, Shimano, right? It's Dior, SLX, XT, XTR. Um, SRAM, it is SX, NX, GX, X01, XX1. Did I miss anything? No, you got it correct. You got it, yeah. <laughs> I'm impressed, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and so those those videos are accompanied by these very in depth articles that who who made those? Did you make most of those, Liam? And I mean, yeah, I, I think mean, I've wrote all. A those. lot of people work on all those articles and comes to the photos and everything. But yeah, yeah, those those videos are accompanied by these in depth articles where we just discuss because it is confusing, right? When you're even relatively new or even intermediate, right? Like you're just in the sport, like you don't really know what the difference is. Yeah. Especially when you look, you're like, oh, what's the difference? And you look at it, it's like, oh, it still has the same amount of gears. Like, what is the difference? It's more expensive and it's lighter. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> well, it's hard. You, you know, it's more expensive. That's an obvious one. Uh, and it has, but like a lot of the other specs are the yeah. same. It's but like, what are yeah. you getting for your money? Yeah, exactly. Yes. 
Why are the intricate details? What are the main differences? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think a lot of people know at this point that weight is something that happens when you spend more. But Mm -hmm. that's also, if you think about it, in the last few years, not so true. Like, people have stopped caring about weight um, as much, especially with e-bikes, especially with, like, just enduro riding in general being more popular and XC not, like, leading the pack in terms of popularity. People don't care about weight as much. People not including you. Okay. (laughs) I I am a bit of a weight weenie. That that is true. I have have two bikes, one I care about weight on and one I don't. Exactly, right? Um, It it is still generally true. The higher the drivetrain level, the lighter it is. Yep. But there's also a point, I think kind of around the XT or the XO mark for SRAM or Shimano that you start losing durability as you get nicer and then durability loss comes into like weight loss. Yeah. So the highest end might not necessarily be the most durable, but it's the lightest. So then there's that line of what type of riding you're doing. Well, I think, I mean, so SRAM likes to say that their X01 is geared towards trail and enduro. And Correct. XX1 is geared towards cross country. Yes. Right. So like one is lighter, XX1 is lighter. And it's really not much more expensive. It's like barely more. Well, and oftentimes the same, depending yeah, on the part you're talking about. That's mm-hmm. kind of, they, they put them as the same level. Mm-hmm. If you look on a graph, they're the same level, but one's. Yeah, like you said, for enduro trail and the other ones for XC light trail. Yeah, like in terms of shifting um, performance, they're going to be pretty similar, like almost exactly. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. So, so that is the other thing, right? Because the, the people have a lot of questions here, right? That we don't, because we're just we've been living in this world for too long. But people wonder things like, well, does GX not shift as good as XX1? Not at all. Like, I mean, I stuff has been shifting if it's properly adjusted. I mean, I had a Shimano Olivio eight speed three three by eight drivetrain on my one of my first mountain bikes fifteen years ago, and it shifted flawlessly. Like, it was great, you know. And like all this stuff shifts good. You know, yeah. It doesn't matter what tier you're at now; it all shifts flawlessly. Granted, right. it's adjusted correctly. Mm-hmm. Weight, of course. Yeah, you're going to get some lighter stuff. But then, people then you can ask the question: Is like, well, what's li- why is it lighter? You know, and then it comes to materials Mm -hmm. and that also plays into like how it feels. Right. So like and how it sounds and the construction of the cassette and the materials that are the cassettes made out of and even like the shifter lever and the cranks like that stuff that feels different. Like and, you know, I think people you think people notice that when they hop on that. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And how it feels totally. It's definitely prominent on going from like a GX or NX shifter mm-hmm. to an XO or XX1 shifter for yeah. SRAM. Yeah. It's the, like a tactile difference of like the flex in the lever blade. Yep. The and then shifter. I think the same is true for Shimano. Uh, XTR, I believe XT gets some some rubber pads on your shifters yeah. that feel a little nicer. And then DR and SLX kind of are, are a little bit more plastic and, and stuff. So yep. there is there's a few differences there, but they all shift very well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's not even a topic in this. Like, they all shift perfect as long as they're adjusted accordingly. Yeah. And weight is a thing. Tactile feel. So, like, fit and finish, you could Mm say. Um, We actually, in that SRAM video, I did, like, a blindfold test, which was kind of funny to do. Can't really be perfect, right? (laughs) And that's what I wonder. I wonder if we could get, you know, 100 people. So, we had a bigger data set and everyone was blindfolded and they hopped on. And rode the same bike, but with a different drivetrain in a straight line and just shifted. I, I think people yeah. could tell. Like, you can just, I mean, the sound the chain makes as it, like, moves from cog to oh, cog. Yeah. And, and the shifter makes, too. Yeah, the sound, you're right. The sound the shifter makes, yeah. Like, you yeah. pretty much, I'm, 
if I recall correctly, you pretty much nailed him, right? Oh, like, like immediately. You got him all right. Like, oh, like, you just feel a shifter. You're, you know exactly what yeah. it is. And you have to ride it. Like, just yeah. push on the thumb blade. And just, oh, yeah. Yeah. You yeah. can tell yeah. what that is. Exactly. Yeah. And then I think the other thing between all the tiers for both brands would be durability. And I think, or, or maybe longevity is a better word. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think is, longevity, uh, you know, you, you ride that NX or the GX level for SRAM or the same with Dior and SLX. It might start maybe deteriorating performance after a really good season or two seasons of riding. And you might start needing to tweak it more and it might kind of lose its precise feel mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. I think those higher end and especially I, I like land on XT for this and X01 is the like longevity model. Like those two drive chains last a really long time and mm-hmm. like you can move them from bike to bike to bike. Right. So I think that's something as well that you're paying for is, is better materials that do actually last longer. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the most common questions I get from people like when they're upgrading or they're, you know, they have like an X or GX and they're thinking about getting like X01 or XX1 and they're asking like, if I get that cassette or chain, is it going to actually last me longer than my GX or NX? Mm-hmm. Well, cassette and chain, I think are maybe different on longevity than yeah. derailleur and shifter. Right. Because cassette and chain are wearable items no matter what. Where cassette and shifter, or sorry, derailleur and shifter kind of aren't necessarily wearable items. Right. Yeah. But yeah, like, would you say if I got an XX1 chain, hypothetically, would it last longer than a GX or NX chain? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. It'd be lighter. Yeah, it'll be lighter, right? Maybe like a slight difference in shifting performance. And then I think cassettes actually, uh, because GX, not positive, I believe it's steel material. Versus the XO and XX are alloy. Mm-hmm. So in theory, the steel would last longer right. than alloy. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, that, that is a tough question. Cause I don't think any of them are really that significantly different. Yeah. You know, like one of them is not going to outlast the other by like 50%, like no. maybe 10%, maybe I, I, this still seems like a lot. Like yeah. it's, it's just so close that it's hard you to know, really say once like they're going to last longer than the other. There's so many variables to put into a cassette and oh, chain and, yeah, absolutely. of what lube you use, where you oh, live, yeah. how often you clean it, dust how, versus mud, how everything. big you are, totally. yeah. you know, Jared weighs 30 pounds more than Jeff and I you know so mm-hmm. over time he's gonna wear out that drivetrain parts faster than jeff and i will true yeah. just from his weight and his uh watts that he's putting out to propel himself true so yeah that's a good point yeah yeah so those two articles and videos we we actually broke out which was an extensive amount of time so thank you to everyone here that made these i didn't but they really <laughs> added a lot to the video um in in these charts basically lay out all of the different group sets uh each individual component and its price and weight right so you have your price and your cranks cassette trailer shifter chain and the total and you can look at these look at this big chart and see like oh how much more does nx cost versus x01 how much more does it weigh you can see all this stuff very like vividly in these charts, which are in the articles and the videos. And I, it, it does, like it goes back to those things. The one thing we haven't talked about, right? So we've talked a lot about weight, longevity, durability, um, features, right? Features are pretty much the same on all of these things, but not exactly. There is some feature differences. Like for example, um, you know, X01 and XX1, they have that, you can adjust the actual like static position mm-hmm. of the, of thumb your lever. thumb lever, yeah. right? You can adjust that. Whereas you can't do that, which I've never adjusted that. Like the static position they give you is per I've like never 
Wait, do you have you done that? I have. Uh, actually, I think I have. But I, the one I have done it on is like on my dropper lever on the PNW Loam. Yeah. You can adjust that kind of exactly static position. Well, so you um, have it on a shifter though. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah no, like no. that is a feature that the I don't only, think a lot of people even know they have on no, their bike yeah. and I don't think I don't know I don't know anyone who even uses it. The only time I have was I think two times ever both for uh female riders that were like 5 foot with small hands. Oh, there you go. And yeah, I got that their, makes sense. and I got their two shifters a little closer so they didn't mm-hmm. have to reach as far. Yeah. Um, yeah, that helps. Yeah. That's the only time okay. so I've So there ever... is a use case for it, but it's kind of a rare... I mean, that's like really the only feature difference between all of this SRAM stuff. Yeah, all the SRAM stuff, uh, pretty much, yeah, just that. And then, um, I guess, cassettes, not really a feature, though. It's just it's material it's just and, materials and, like and design. And the NX shifter is not matchmaker compatible. Oh, yeah, that's No, fine. there is. There's there's one that is and one that isn't. Okay. OEM and... There was like and an OE okay. one and a non-OE yeah. one. I thought they yeah. all had the clamp on them. I like believe, those regular just clamp only. Yeah, I believe there's a, a matchmaker version out there. Yeah, sometimes might a, yeah, it might be SX that has that issue yeah. now. Sometimes mm-hmm. you see like the more pricey stuff has just gotten more like availability too. Like it's because it's it's, people are obviously upgrading more to X01, XX1, even GX than they yeah. would be to NX, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and then the Shimano shifters also have a feature difference they do. too. Yeah, so we were talking about that pre-podcast, right? It was... It's the double downshift, right? Yes, double so the, downshift. So, so shifting the lever that to shifts a harder down. gear. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. On XT and XTR, you can press it basically through the first click into the second with yeah. one motion mm-hmm. and get that two two gear downshift or shift two gears harder. Yeah, two gears with one push of the Correct. thumb. Right. Yeah, which is actually a really cool feature. It is cool. Yeah, like that's, it is. When I um, use a Shimano shifter, I'm like, that's actually a rad feature. <laughs> where... Yeah. SLX and Dior do not have that. They have single clicks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For so, the down, not the up. The for up, the down. Yeah. The easier gear, they all have the same. I think it's yeah, three or four couple, yeah. per. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of it on features, though, really. Yeah. Shimano had a couple little clutch things. So, like, adjustability mm. of the clutch, mm-hmm. uh, which is a patent Shimano has, which is why SRAM doesn't have that. But, yeah, you can you can adjust the clutch more easily, like a tool-free sort of adjustment um, on the pricier stuff on shimano and it's like more complicated you have to take off like the cover to do it on the less expensive yeah. stuff so little little things like it's it's pretty negligible i mean realistically all of these drivetrains from sram or shimano at any price tier are going to shift amazing mm-hmm. they're going to be lighter they're going to look fancier and they're going to have a way better tactile feel and sound as you spend more money and they might have a feature or two if you're lucky so if you're really considering a drivetrain upgrade and curious on you know, all of this stuff, those two articles and videos that we made uh, definitely are our good go-to source for that thing. And something we just wanted to talk about because it was a popular topic and those two videos did super well for yeah. us on YouTube. So clearly people are interested in this topic. Yeah. And now a word from our sponsors. Hey, this is Norman from Sramino 14 Speed Drives Trains live on Kickstarter right now and appearing on Shark Tank March 12th. We are developing the world's first 14 speed drivetrain that's going to be absolutely amazing with 140% gear range. It only fits on Super Boost Plus Plus hubs. Check us out now on Kickstarter and make sure to tune into Shark Tank March 12th. And now back to the show. Bar handles. Bar handles, handlebars. 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 Yeah, let's talk about them. 
What are you Mustaches running? Mustaches? What's on your... Oh. Handlebar. Oh, for our bikes. Yeah, Mountain let's talk bike about bikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what bars are you running right now, Liam? Um, oh, you can't say, huh? Can I talk about them? <laughs> Some top secret bars we can't tell you about yet. But They're both will. carbon. Top secret. They both have a five degree up, eight degree back sweeps. Yeah. Um, both 35 mil clamps. Uh, on my downcountry is bike, I have a 15 mil rise bar. And on my trail bike enduro bike, I have a 35 mil rise bar. Wow. Mm-hmm. What about you, J Red? I am running the one up carbon bar on my Yeti SP150. Yep. And I love that bar. And I'm running this the stock Yeti carbon bar on my other bike. It's nice. 20 mil rise, 780. Mm-hmm. I think uh, 770 on my SP150 because I cut it a little bit too much on accident. <laughs> 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 780 on the 115. <laughs> Pro tip, pro tip, do not cut your bars too narrow because you cannot make them wider afterwards. Didn't you take high school woodshop where they teach you like measure twice, cut once? Yes. What they don't <laughs> teach you is don't be stupid because that's what I was. Yeah, I guess on my bars I run 750 width on all my bikes. Nice. Across the board. Yeah, I do Actually, 760. 750 or 760? I'm confused now. Jerry got me confused. You forgot your own handlebar width. That's like forgetting your shoe size. I cut them once, dude, and I run it. <laughs> but do you measure twice, then cut once? Cut I know where I'm cutting, like Jared. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I a lot cut, of times it literally says it right yeah, on the bar now. I know. I yeah. probably just closed my eyes when I did it, honestly. Yeah. It just, I, too I many cut, brewskis before yeah. the handlebar cutting. <laughs> I cut a couple bars here and there, so. Yeah. Yeah. We do mine next. <laughs> yeah, I, I am also riding the the one up bars. Um, I like this. I I just I mean I don't know. I don't have any crazy preference, but I I do like one up's whole unique thing with the vertical compliance and lateral stiffness. Whew. You know how I know that? Because you did the video, I did an entire video about handlebars, and you tested like <laughs> five different handlebars right that was on cool. one bike. Yeah, I, I know I've said this, and I said in the video too. But I, I'm still this is still one of the things that blew me away these days. I mean, I test a lot of stuff, right? We all do, and a lot of times it's like I can't really tell. I mean, like I can kind of tell a difference. It's like a little bit of a difference. It's like it's negligible. Like novice riders might not. But, and I, I thought this handlebar thing was going to be like that. I was like, all right, we're going to go out here and we're going to have the same bike on the same trail, everything the same, but we're going to swap out. I'm going to ride five different handlebars in like one stint. <laughs> and, and I was like, there's no way I can, I was like, these are all going to be the same. Like, I'm going to be like fighting to the back scars of my head to be like, what was the difference between this bar and that bar? But it wasn't. I was shocked. So they all had a different feel. And the one-up bars were way more supple. Way more supple. I mean, that's what they say they do. Yeah. And it was actually true. And I was just, I was just impressed. Wow. But then in like the rental bars, those things felt like a steel pipe. They were the most rigid things ever. Super stiff. Super stiff. Yeah. But it wasn't bad, you know, in, in a set, like I actually prefer climbing with the rental bars. Like you hmm. have better power mm-hmm. transfer. Cause like if you're just out of the saddle climbing, cause where I'd ridden that day too, was like that technical climb. Um, it's like out of the saddle climb when you're like pushing with your leg and pulling with your hand, like you don't want your bars to flex at all, mm-hmm. right? So like on an XC bike, I would run rental bars, hmm. you know, I, and they just had a really stiff feel to them that I that I liked climbing. It felt like it was just more power transfer, but they just beat you up on the yeah. downhill. Like they're just way more rigid than some of the other stuff. And wow. then and then sort of you had like the bars in between, which you trusted like the Truvative Descendant, uh, the Race Face Next R. Those were kind of like somewhere in the middle there where they like weren't overly stiff, but weren't like 
and you know weren't super supple like the one up bars and the one up bars actually were just totally different so ever since we made that video and i tested all those i've been just riding the one up bars ever since but again it's not like it's not this like major change right and it's and it's something that if you didn't do that back-to-back test on the same trail same bike same everything like you would never notice right you know yeah if you have hand fatigue or like hand pain then those one-up bars do make sense or you're riding a lot of braking bumps Mm -hmm. so yeah but i've ridden eight degrees back five up eight and five 760 width on all my bikes for uh, forever yeah wow you don't stick the same width on all your bikes i normally do yeah i just haven't really i just never really like felt like going around cutting the bars in the 115 i was like whatever i'll just leave them they're close enough five mils on each side what am i really gonna my thing was like if i rode if i had one bike so if i had my trail bike that had say 760s and then i put 780 on my downhill bike i would get on the downhill bike and i'd be like oh these feel really wide which is kind of nice right like you're on Mm -hmm. a downhill bike you want to feel like that but then I would ride the downhill bike at a bike park. I'd go back to my trail bike and I'd be like, oh, this feels horrible. Mm-hmm. Like I would just feel like they were too narrow and like I was going to, it was just, I couldn't take the change. Like the change was too jarring to my, my OCD. Even, so even 10 mils, you think you could notice 10 mils of oh, difference? If, of width? Five on each side? Absolutely. If, yeah. What if I blindfolded yeah. you and I told Dude, you I'd that one it. was each? What, I what if tell. I, what if I screwed I with your tell. head and did, made you do it? That's our next blindfold video. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If Jeff can tell the difference between 770 and yeah. 780. I think I can tell. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's my biggest thing. If I test a stock width, bike. Bars are like really tactile, especially yeah. the sweep. Did you, did you change the, remember those Easton bars that had like, it was like that a was an odd one. Eight and degree it, back sweep or something? But or it, no, sorry. Something about it was like two degrees different than most bars. And yeah. it was just like, oh, this feels Well, horrible. I feel like that's another story. Like degree difference, you know, it's like that but yeah yeah but like hand placement like if your hands are in a different place like you could easily have your hands in a different spot five mils you wouldn't notice no way dude i would <laughs> what if you have different grips your on? palm is at the edge of the grip and your finger is right on the brake lever it's all, right. all like that's our next test it's settled <laughs> well i think i think that goes the same thing too is like i run the same grips on all my bikes right and the same bar width yeah yeah so i prefer that too yeah it's but um what uh when was the last time you wrote alloy bars jeff Oof. uh oh i have i have some alloy bars on my gravel bike that i keep in our pennsylvania store mm. the what is that thing salsa storm chaser yeah, storm chaser yeah i have alloy bars on that um i don't know that also just has a rigid fork and like yeah, 40 hard. <laughs> tires so yeah. I, I haven't ridden alloy bars on like a normal mountain bike yeah we should have tested those. Why didn't we do that? Oh, I don't know. Like, but actually, we should have like thrown one alloy bar in that yeah. same back-to-back <laughs> test. We have to redo this. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Up until I ran the newest carbon bars on my enduro bike, I was running alloy bars for probably at least two years. Yeah, what did you think in terms of like supple? I kind of liked the way they feel better a bit. Yeah, um, alloy bars. Alloy bars. On really? The, on the big bike. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. They just felt a little different, a little bit it's just different flex. It's like going from an alloy frame to a carbon frame. Mm-hmm. They both are good. You're both going to be fast and you're going to like ride your best on it, but they just feel different. And I feel like that's how bars are too. Just mm-hmm. frequency is a little bit different. Feedback's a little different. I don't think I really prefer one or the, over the other, but there's, there's a difference there. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, the biggest thing too is the price and the weight, Yeah. right? Yeah. So alloy bars are a little less than half, typically less, little less than half the cost of any carbon bar. Um, and they're much heavier. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and so we recently, the reason we're talking about this, we recently did a handlebar buyer's guide video on YouTube and a big in-depth article on the topic. 
to kind of demystify all of that, right? Like what are the various materials? What's the difference between them? The prices, um, what are the most common widths, rises, sweeps? We put all of that sniffer stuff in the video. And yeah, I would, uh, my guess on the most common width for like general mountain bikers, 780. What Mm -hmm. do you think? Yeah, I agree. 780. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. And then rise and sweep eight and five. I mean, almost every bar is like that. There's a few that aren't. Yeah. Renfall is different. It's a seven. Yeah, it's like one degree off. But it does feel different. Yeah, it does. Yeah, Yeah. one degree does make a difference. And um, that could even be the difference between like your wrists hurting and not hurting. Yeah, when I was racing XC, I ran, I think, a nine or a 10 degree back sweep bar. Whoa. Um, Just for those long days, it kind of put you more in a like, I don't want to say beach cruiser position, but like Mm -hmm. a more comfortable position. More relaxed for your wrists. Instead of like kind of moto-esque feel where Renthals feel very moto. Yeah. Ergonomic Um, position. Ergonomic, yeah. So... When I was racing and spending way too many hours on a bike, yep. I ran more back sweep. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it makes sense versus like those like envy bars or flat bars that are just like a straight bar and you're like this, and your elbows yeah. are out and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Different, different feel there. Yeah. Well, cool. That's handlebars. Hopefully uh, we educated you a lot on handlebars. And um, now a word from our sponsors. Looking for the best chain lube in the universe? Look no further than my very own Charlie's Chain Treatment for 13-speed gearbox drivetrains only. My lube will leave your chain better than new and will leave competitors in the dust. Lather on and have the riding experience of a lifetime. And now, back to the show. Uh, let's talk about <laughs> the uh, the next topic, the Commonsol Care Program. So to, to preface that, Commonsol is a consumer direct mountain bike brand from Andorra. They've been around a long time. I think everyone knows who Commonsol is. But when I say consumer direct, what that means is that they sell right off of their website uh, directly to you, the consumer, which means a bike shop doesn't sell it. This, if you want to learn more about the historical model of bike brands, bike shops as retailers, Consumer Direct, we made a whole video called Consumer Direct Bike Brands. Are they destroying or evolving the industry? Uh, A lot of people were surprised at our take on that because I think it's kind of good, you know, especially for the higher end segment, uh, which a lot of people would probably not say that if they owned a bike shop like I do, but I think it's good. Like, I was just honest about that in the video. That's what we like to do. And uh, yeah, so watch that video if you're curious more on like the particular business model behind the thing. But what's what's important here is one of the main issues, which was discussed in that video, is warranties and service, right? So if you buy a bike directly from a brand like YT or Commonsol or Canyon, and then you have a something that needs a warranty or some particular part that broke, right? Like a, you know, what would or break on one of these even things? building it out of the box. That's true. Something mm-hmm. could be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And so you don't have a bike shop to support you, right? Because you didn't buy it there, right? And the whole value of a retailer is you can mm-hmm. just walk right back there or drive right back there or call them up and figure it out. But it, it's harder for these consumer direct bike bands to deal with that. And they got a bad rap. I think probably Canyon got the worst rap. I don't know if they fixed it, but uh, they had a bad I, rap for like, yeah. they would sell you a bike, something would go wrong with it. And, you know, like, it would just use a warranty issue. Something yeah. was like a warranty issue, some component on there. And then they would just like ghost you. Yeah. That's a nightmare situation. It's a bad situation. Yeah. yeah especially if you just spent five grand or 10 yeah. grand on a bike. That'd be super frustrating. So I think most of these brands have fixed that problem, but it's, it's hard to tell, you know, but I, I do remember for a long time there, every time, one of these brands would pop up on pink bike. People would just rip them for yeah. their like terrible mm-hmm. support. And the hard part too is, well, Canyon and Commonsol were not USA based. NYT, 
white teeth yeah, German none of them are they're, none yeah, of them they're, are they're so European. when they were first coming here they're coming here on a very um, what what do you call it? subsidiary like mm-hmm. based location yeah exactly with not a lot of yeah resources. their headquarters isn't here yeah mm-hmm. so that also led to it and then obviously people who have bad experiences are gonna talk more so oh, maybe yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah the one star review is always the they're gonna be the loudest person yeah, yeah that's very loud yeah <laughs> yeah so that yeah. so that did happen so what's common salt doing to help that the care program tell us what it is Liam um so yeah it seems like. Commonsol is coming up with the Commonsol Care, uh, basically tech questions, uh, settings after unpackaging, maintenance tips, and warranty. Um, pretty much, if if you call Commonsol and they cannot help you by walking it through it, I I think they Facetime. Um, yeah. They might Facetime you and, and try to help you with a tip or a, a setup. And so if that if they cannot help you there or you don't have the technical skills or tools required. Common Soul will basically help you find a local shop that I don't know if it's approved or just a shop of your choice uh, to take your bike to, and Common Soul will help cover the cost of the repair. So basically, they're offering to support you taking it to a local shop. Yeah. I mean, how well that works, I guess, is yet to be seen from Common Soul bike owners, but it is a good idea because I have, you know, I've been in the bike industry for a long time before I started Worldwide, which is over 10 years ago. I worked at just a traditional brick and mortar local bike shop. I mean, Liam, you worked at a traditional brick and mortar yeah, bike shop for a, a long time. Yeah. And these consumer brands have a really bad rap because people get pissed, you know, like typical bike yeah. shop owners and bike shop staff, like do not like when you roll your consumer direct bike brand in there that you, they didn't make any money off of. And they're like, Oh, I got this warranty problem. It's like, I don't want to help you with that. YouTube, a uh, YouTube video idea. Should we buy a consumer direct bike <laughs> and then bring it to five local shops? Uh, yeah. And just see how we get treated. See, yes. Yeah. You get five treated. different answers. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, Hidden cameras on our glasses or something. Yeah, see, right. see if yeah. you know, because because it kind of is, and I think also I think it's changing, but I think there's kind of that bike shop snob mentality, and you kind of got a bad feel right away when you brought yeah. in this consumer direct bike brand, right? Yeah, like this guy probably slapped it together, has no idea what he's doing, and then we're just gonna f- pretty much rebuild this whole bike. Yeah, right, like. Yeah, that that's part of it. I think the other part was like the warranty issue, right? So yeah. warranties in general for some like component, like any shop that's dealing with that's losing their losing their ass on it to yeah. some extent, right? So like if if any shop sells a bike and let's just say the rear shock, like something's wrong with it, seals are bad, whatever, warranty issue starts leaking, customer brings it back, like they're not they can't charge the customer for that. The brand that made the rear shock is certainly not going to reimburse them for any of this. So now they have to out of their own pocket you know, house the bike, take the shock off, talk to the brand, ship it back to the brand, get it back from the brand, put it back on the bike, call the customer. Like who's paying for that? The shop is right. So it's, it's a hassle. It's, it's a headache and it's the risk you take when you sell the bike to begin with. Yeah. And you hope that you don't have warranty issues with it. Uh, now if someone waltzes in with a consumer direct bike, they, you didn't make any money off that to begin with. Right. So you kind of feel as a, as a business owner, like, well, I'm going to do this warranty for free now. You know, like I didn't sell you that bike Mm -hmm. and that's where, and then the person's like, well, what the heck? Like, but you, you sell, you carry rock shock or Fox or DVO or whatever this rear shock is that has a problem. And then they're like, well, so what? Like, you know, we could contact them for you, but like, and it's just this awkward, like, well, you're going to pay us because it's a warranty. Like, we're not going to work for free. We didn't make any money when we sold you that. It's just, it's this very uncomfortable, like, business model clash of a situation. Mm-hmm. And that's what Commonsoul is trying to address, yeah. it seems like. Yeah. You know, then they're going to be like, oh, well, we'll actually just 
you know, pay that bike shop to help you with that. Yeah. So, and yeah, in everyone's cool. defense, it's kind of everyone's in the right almost, right? Yeah. As yeah. a consumer, no one's doing anything yeah. wrong. As a consumer, right. your product's broken, you're bummed. Mm. As a bike shop owner, employee, you're like, well, I didn't make any money off this, so I don't want to really help, you know? Yep. So, yeah, it, it, it's cool to see Commons Hall come up with a solution. And actually, on their site, to add to that, it looks like there's two different kind of FAQs to run through one for your Commons Hall products, so mainly would be frame. Yep. And then your third party brands. So suspension, wheels, et cetera. Drivetrain. Drivetrain. Yeah, exactly. yeah. 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 No, I, I like it. I mean I, I think it's I think it's a good deal. because um, I I can see it's it's just trying to solve an, an issue with, with what's going on with all that. So Yeah, totally. I mean uh, it's like, you know, when we sell a bike, obviously we offer lifetime tunes, right? I yep. mean this is basically their version of that. It's like we're helping out the consumer mm-hmm. with some of the associated costs with maintenance and repair. Yeah, and I, I guess it'll be interesting to see if it's if it's legit. Yeah, I right. Mean, or how long I mean, it'll take for people to like get their money brand, back? You know, right? like I can, yeah, I would imagine they're gonna if, do it well. So. If I was outside of the industry, I'd probably be on a Commons Hall bike. If I'm being honest. Yeah. 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 Like if we, if you didn't work at a shop. Yeah. If I didn't work shop, had no you know allegiance or tie to any yeah. shop or brand. Commons Hall is a great great brand with great value. Yeah. Yeah. Cool they don't stuff. even make carbon bikes. Crazy. Call me crazy, but I don't know if you need. You're crazy, bro. I don't know if you need carbon twenty seventy mil travel bikes. Yeah, I mean yeah. they definitely are very cool bikes. Like, yeah, you know, there's definitely a lot to that. Yeah, great value. I would, if I was outside of the industry, I would still buy from a local shop just because I don't want to do any of my own maintenance. Mm. Like, I'd want to be able to just buy it, go and ride it, and take it in and just be like, yeah, can you guys just like worry about all this? Like just take care of all of it. But that really depends on where you're at. If you want to do your own maintenance, what your budget is, all of that. I would more, maybe I would get a consumer direct bike brand and I would use VeloFix mm, there if you there go. was one in my area. But if you weren't in the industry, maybe you would be more inclined to work on your own bike too. Mm. You know, if I had the same, free time availability that i have now <laughs> no the answer is no i'm That's not another working factor, on right okay yeah, it depends on what you do for a career yeah, and how fair busy, enough how busy your calendar is fair on enough. a daily basis right so i don't know we could talk about that forever and now here's a quick clip of me with micah rice the race director of the pikes peak apex out in colorado springs we talked about the current state of mountain bike racing given the pandemic and some quick tips on how to start a mountain bike race event yourself in your own local community okay great micah thank you for joining us on the podcast today we really appreciate you coming on board um just wanted to ask you a couple things you know with your racing expertise um so yeah can you tell us a little bit about your um you know your experience with racing you know given the pandemic and like the state of everything going on right now yeah i mean it's been all over the board, right? I mean, uh, we really saw just over a year ago everything kind of shut down. Um, but um, we definitely seem to be, to be coming out of it now. Um, but there were some great select events that happened last year. Um, and, uh, you know, we kind of got through it. A lot of virtual events. I think people really kind of got on board with, with that um, and, and, and kind of rallied around it that, in that direction now. But even just in the last few weeks, you've just seen everybody just come out full steam getting ready for the summer and, and a lot of events kind of announcing that it's all on and, and uh, it's been great. 
that's so awesome that's that's a huge relief like it was such a pain during the pandemic like all these events get like sea otter getting canceled and all these big events and you know it's just really nice to see they're all kind of starting back up again so that's awesome to hear yeah and i think that you know the virtual events kind of got people through the year Mm -hmm. i'm a big proponent of in-person you know racing events where you're actually racing people had been (laughs) i think that people uh got through that and, and we're excited about that for only so long and I think people are really itching to get back on their bikes to, to in-person events so totally good to see a lot of events filling up and uh, people getting excited about the summer awesome awesome well tell me a little bit about like what it would take you know if I wanted to put on a race here in my local area yeah you know and I, and I work for a, an organization called Sports Strategies and essentially what we do is we go into these different communities and make recommendations on on how to kind of leverage you know some assets that you might have to create an event so a trail system or a waterway or or uh, some great roads for a grand fondo um, and so you know we're doing we do a good bit of that we work with directly with the cities um, definitely try to leverage your convention and visitors bureau because they often have all kinds of programs even money set aside to bring people into town. So um, those are the people to talk to and kind of start with. Mm-hmm. Um, economic development within those cities. Um, you know, everyone's looking for ways to not only create a direct um, economic impact to their cities, whether that be hotel rooms sold or restaurants, uh, but also, um, you know, how do you just raise the value of living in that city? So, Kind of those those aspects are, are interesting ways to kind of come about it uh, within your city itself because that starts you know pulling levers on on uh, real decision makers there. Right. Awesome. Awesome. Those are some good tips. Absolutely. Um, well, tell me a little bit more about the Apex and what you have going on with the Apex out there in Colorado Springs as well. Yeah. The- Pikes Peak Apex here in Colorado Springs was an event that we built from scratch. Uh, first year was was 2020, which was a pretty tough year to actually uh, have fun in. Right. Um, we pulled it off. Uh, we had a, a ton of support from the city. So it was the end of September of 2020. Uh, it is a four-day mountain bike challenge on the slopes of Pikes Peak. Uh, our presenting sponsor is Rock Shots. And... Um, as you guys probably know, the Rock Shocks R&D facility is right here in Colorado Springs. Right. So uh, they're testing bikes on uh, and, and shocks, you know, and forks and everything else right here on the trails that we're racing on. Wow. But it's uh, it's essentially the it's a four day event. We start off with a short prologue that's about an hour effort, and then on Friday and Saturday we do two big loops, so forty to fifty mile loops that are really get out there up onto the slopes uh, up near and over, in, in, in at least one case, over 10,000 feet. Um, one of the biggest hits was last year coming down through Jones Park and Captain Jack's trails. That's kind of one of the, the big deal trails here where at the end of the stage, there was literally a 30-minute downhill wow. to the finish, which you don't see in cross-country events and endurance events too often. It's that, that distance on the downhill. but Totally. People, Kind of loving that, and then the last day is, um, you know, kind of more of like a, a twenty-ish mile thing that's over by noon, and, and then we can uh, drink beer and head on home. After. <laughs> nice. Um, 
you know, last year it was just really strictly a bike race itself, just because of the pandemic. We really had to kind of strip it down just to a basic race. Mm-hmm. But um, this year we're look, really looking forward to doing a lot more. We've got a, a kickoff party planned and a, and a post-event party planned and an expo and, and other, other events going on. So um, we're excited about turning this bike race into a real event here in Colorado Springs. And that's, a, that's an event that we built um, for the uh, Pikes Peak Outdoor Recreation Alliance. So oh. It's actually a non-profit event. Wow. And um, all that money that we raise just goes directly back to the trail system through the trail stewardship fund. So we work with local groups like our IMBA chapter and things like that to, to maintain and build new trails and use this event to kind of uh, shine a spotlight on the trails here. So, uh, yeah, we're excited about bringing it, bringing it back. That's awesome. I mean, it sounds like a ton of fun. And honestly, I wish I could make it out there for the race. Like I would love to. Um, but it's, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Absolutely. It'll be a good time. And, you know, we tried to create an event that was, you know, interesting to a lot of different people. It's got some technical aspects to it, which is going to make, you know, mountain bikers happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for the pros, we have a $25,000 prize purse that's split um, evenly between men and women for the four days. Awesome. Uh, but but then we do some things that, you know, are are more akin to the gravel community. So we do a big mass start. Like, everyone starts together. Mm-hmm. Women, kids, you know, masters, it doesn't matter. Everyone rolls out at the same time. Um, we do, you know, we've got at least one day that's probably 80% dirt road. Wow, there there are definitely some single track involved in that day too, but but a lot of you know wide open gravel climbing to to uh, that's that's kind of uh, enjoyable because some great views up there in the front range of Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know the prologue that we do is an in town park it's right here in downtown Colorado Springs. It's an eleven mile loop in the park that's right here. They shut down the park for us, close it off, and uh, it's a pretty technical single track loop that we do. Um, we do time trial style. We actually send each rider off every 30 seconds. We kind of race in and trying to catch the person in front of you. Nice. So it's really kind of an interesting format that, um, that has been uh, really well received, I think, by the cycling. That's awesome. Yeah, it sounds like a ton of fun. And with the money just going right back into the community and the trails, I mean, it sounds like a great cause as well. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a fun time. And, and uh, we got a lot of people from all over. All over the U.S. join us last year. We, we expect that um, we'll have more uh, this year as well. And um, it's not crazy altitude. You know, Colorado Springs is about six thousand feet, uh, but we do have, as I said, a couple of days where you where you climb up there in the nine to ten ten thousand. Uh, right. Uh, but it's um, it's it's a it's always a good time. People are really having a good time. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Micah, thank you so much for joining me today and giving us uh, an idea of what racing is like and, uh, and yeah, what the, what the apex is like and for some tips to put on a local race. And, and yeah, we really appreciate you coming on today. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Jared. Uh, hopefully you can make it on after Colorado Springs this September. Oh, I would love to. <laughs> thank you so much again. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Awesome. Take care. You have a good one. Here we go with some listener questions around mixing drivetrain brand components and bike geometry for former BMX riders. 
that was great. That was not. <laughs> neither of those were audio effects. Those were just the real voices of Jared and Liam. And if you didn't understand what he said, it was that this last segment is listener questions around mixing drivetrain brand components and bike geo for former BMX riders. First question. Ole Tobias. Ole. His I thought it was is, like, my name's Old Tobias. Old Tobias? That's how I... His no, name is spelled O-L-E. He's from Norway. No, it's Ole. Oh. It's probably Ole. Ole. Ola. Ole. I don't know. Or Sorry. Or our, none of us are cultured enough to know how Mr. to pronounce Mr. O-L-E. Mr. Tobias. Sorry, Mr. Tobias. <laughs> he says, hi, I love the podcast. Question, have any of you ridden a mixed drivetrain of Shimano cassette and chain with SRAM GX access derailleur and shifter? Thoughts? Greetings from Norway. Well... The reason we picked this question, because a lot of people ask it, and also, we're, we're, I don't think anyone's here in agreement on this, which is drama. Mm. Drama. Mm. Drama in the podcast triangle. All right, so my answer is, no, I've not done that, and I would never do that. That's just ridiculous. That's just, no. Like, I'm not going to do that. And <laughs> I let me hear my case. You're a purist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a purist. No. I am a purist. No. I, one, I just... It, it just pains my soul to see like mixed brands like that. It just seems like something's wrong. Like you just, I just don't like it. It, it bothers me emotionally from that sense. And from like a logical sense, uh, in 2020, actually, I went to Germany, February, right? Before the world shut down. February of 2020, I went to Germany to SRAM's drivetrain manufacturing and design facility, which was an awesome trip. And I got to see stuff that the common man may have never seen. And I saw things such as, uh, I think there was about 20 of these glass boxes that had drivetrains inside of them. And all of these lasers pointed at the drivetrain. And so when I say drivetrain, it's like cranks, chain, derailleur, shifter. It's all inside of this glass box. All these lasers are pointed at it. And it's just like pedaling really fast and shifting through all the gears. And there's all these lasers and cameras. And there's like 20 of these things. The amount of engineering that SRAM puts into every aspect of like how all that stuff meshes together is literally mind-blowing. It's astonishing. And I'm sure Shimano has the same stuff, right? Yeah. And being there, seeing the development process, talking to the real engineers in Germany who making this stuff, like, blew my mind about the intricacy and the detail they put into all this stuff. So it just, it was astonishing, like, what they're doing to, like, design every mill, like, tenth, hundredth of a millimeter of every little, like, you know, pivot thing on the cassette, the chain. It's It's just wild. So... I just think it all should go together. Yeah, so your point you know, is it's designed to go go together, keep it together. It's designed and engineered in every way, shape, and form to be paced all together as like a whole unit. So like if yeah. you have a SRAM, you know. And, and this, I guess we're talking things that touch each other in like the, the, the chain ring, the chain, the cassette, right, the derailleur. Like all that's derailleur, in yeah. the shifter, obviously, right, because it controls the derailleur. So like yeah. all those things that are interconnected like that. Like obviously you can swap a crank out and it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, so, so that's my opinion. I, I would never do that. I don't see what the reason to do that is. Um, I just think this stuff's all engineered to go together. So that's, that's my thought. Liam. Uh, I have kind of two parts of this. Um, I personally would never set out to mix match like Jeff. I would never set out to do it. Mm-hmm. But if I was in a situation where say I had a, you know, uh, SLX or XT Shimano drivetrain, 12 speed. And I was like, well, I kind of want wireless, but I don't really want to like up change all my components. That's really expensive. Free hub bodies get involved. It gets complicated. 
well, what if I could just buy a shift and derailleur upgrade kit and then run that? And now I have a wireless drivetrain with my Shimano stuff, most cost of, cost effective route. Maybe I would do that just from a pure consumer cost. And I think that's standpoint. why people ask that question. Yeah. Because they have like free of body issues and they already have a Shimano cassette it, free of body. And like, exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that's where Mr. Uh, Ole, Ole is coming from mm-hmm. is he wants to upgrade to GX axis. Um, so in that sense, it could make sense. Does it work? We have a uh, rider, Troyden, that makes questionable bike decisions all the time and is completely in his head about most of them. Yeah, he's a bit of a head case, but um, he's a really talented, <laughs> phenomenal mountain biker. Yeah, so super fast. There's that. And, um, and he has been running XT or XTR chain and cassette with SRAM Axis X or XX1 shifter and derailleur for better part of a year now. Like, um, why did he even do that? I think it was the same type of thing. He, he liked the he bought a, the he bought a complete e-bike. No, he bought a complete e-bike that came with Shimano and it was like a pain for free hub bodies to swap stuff out and he had access or he wanted access and he kind of just ended up with that. But he personally says, which again is <laughs> take with a grain of salt. Yeah, grain of salt. <laughs> it's it's Troyden's thoughts and uh what he thinks is better. He still runs 2.3 tires, so that's that um, on his downhill yeah. bike. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with with all the love from Troyden, but uh, he's he says it's just really good and he likes it better. Yeah. So maybe it probably does. Maybe yeah. there's something like, to it. I don't it. see why it wouldn't. They probably, are yeah. pretty similar realistically. If you look at these things, like there's not any major yeah. differences. Maybe like, there's something works. to it. Maybe he's onto something. I would never personally set out to do it, but if you're in a situation. It works. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, someone should make like a cross compatibility chart. Right. I mean, I don't want to do that. Do no, you? no, not me. <laughs> <laughs> because people do ask. They're in that same boat and yeah. they, they want to know what the cross compatibility actually is between these things. But man, to like, who's, no one's going to do that. Neither of the brands are going to do that. That's no, sure. no, 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 no. Um, guinea pigs. We could, we could be the guinea pigs. We could, it could be an interesting. Yeah. It might be useful. It could be. Maybe we should do that. Yeah. Maybe that's our next viral YouTube video. Bro. Could be. Do you yeah, have any thoughts, know. Jared? I, what are your thoughts? I side with you, Liam, where I'm not going to, if I have a Shimano drivetrain on my bike, I'm not going to, you know, especially if I'm cost conscious, I'm not going to just like completely ditch a bunch of new stuff just so I can upgrade. You know, maybe if I'm at the point where like it's worn down and I was going to replace it anyways, then I'd switch over. Um but yeah, I'm not gonna like actively go out and put a Shimano cassette and like drivetrain and then have, you know, access shifter and you know and derailleur. Um I'm just gonna go up probably all of one or the other. But mm-hmm. yeah, if I got a new bike and it has like XT, XTR, or whatever on it, then yeah, hell yeah, I'll upgrade and put electronic shifting on there because I'm not gonna put DI2. <laughs> Well, they don't, they don't. What is DI2? Excuse me. I believe, what is it? What is DI2? It's like intelligence. It was a joke. Yeah. Just yeah. like no one knows a DI2. Shimano, yeah. Shimano does not. Yeah. Shimano, <laughs> Shimano does not make a electronic 12 speed mountain bike drivetrain. Right. So they make an 11 speed one. Though. They make an 11 speed, which. And you can have all these cables inside your frame and batteries and junction boxes. And it's yeah. great. Oh, dude. that sounds dope. I'll have that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so I got a previous podcast for Shimano patents on electric drivetrain yeah. suspension and dropper posts. Yeah. Shimano yeah. for sure. I mean, if you're going to buy an electronic drivetrain, there's no way on earth you would buy a Shimano one over a SRAM one right now. Yeah. Um, but mount, who knows? In the mountain bike world. Yeah. 
Yeah. Roadies are another story. Those guys are yeah, traditionalists to the core. Yeah, that's, yeah. True. that's strange. I don't even want to, I don't even know anything about those people. And that's for a whole other podcast. Those people. Those people. <laughs> that's how we refer, refer to people who ride road bikes around here. Those people. <laughs> who are you talking about? Those people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, yeah. There you go. Ole, Tobias. Uh, hopefully Ole. that's. It's probably ole. We're saying ole probably. because we're all from Southern California and we all have some bit of Spanish knowledge. So we're thinking yeah, it's ole. It's probably ole. It's probably yeah, ole. Yeah, that's what I said. Norway. Ole. Yeah. Tobias. And it's probably not in Tobias. It's probably like Tobas. Tobis. Yeah. Old Tobis. <laughs> we're, Mr. Dude, Tobis, I we're really very hope sorry can for someone, butchering your name. Jared, remember to email him back okay. and tell him we answered it so he can like, he's probably going to pee his pants laughing at this whole like name <laughs> pronunciation. Send, send us a voice message yeah. over the Mountain Bike Podcast oh, Instagram. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Perfect. Perfect. So pronounce right. your name, please. Yeah. Perfect. Or even a, you know, a video one. We'd love to see your face. Yeah. <laughs> and how, right. how we just totally ruined Next you. question. <laughs> Next question. Jared, read that Mike one. Mike Finch. Is there a geometry that former BMX riders prefer with mountain bikes, including handlebar rise? Liam, you are a former BMX rider. What do you think? Um, I think it, it depends on what type of riding you want to do on a mountain bike, first and foremost. Uh, if you're a BMX rider that's looking to go to mountain bike to basically do similar types of riding, mm-hmm bike park jumps, uh, kind of free riding aspects, you're probably going to want to go with, um, like talking modern mountain bike sizing, probably go a little bit smaller of a bike. Um, where if the height chart recommends you on a large, maybe ride a medium, uh, you'll probably feel more comfortable with a higher rise bar and short stem, short stem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Really short stubby stem. And you'll probably feel more comfortable with like 15 to 20% sag in your rear end than 30 recommended yeah something like that a little stiffer a little taller a little shorter bike that's going to mimic more of a bmx maybe 27.5 probably yeah could be 27.5 wheels yeah um yeah if we look at raymond uh social media uh guru here he's very similar but he rode bmx longer into his you know where he's at now than i did I kind of jumped off and did other. Not many people ride BMX past the age of 20 because it's just so hard on your body. Yeah, exactly. Freestyle BMX. Yeah, I ride a dirt jumper now. I, I can't ride a BMX bike. Yeah, it's hard. too big of a difference from 20-inch wheel to 2.9 wheel. Yeah. yeah. Um, crazy. So, but Raymond's bikes are very much like this. He sizes down, short stem, 50 mil rise bars. Um, yeah, like a 32 mil stem. 30, 32, 32 mil. 35 mil stem. And then a um, 50 millimeter rise bar. Yeah, and his suspension's yeah. Always incredibly stiff. Yeah, way stiffer than you would yeah. actually want to set it up. Yeah. 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 Geo wise, probably a bike that's a touch steeper head tube angle. Um, if you're looking to ride like that. Now, if you're just I think looking. Geo, I think the only thing that makes a meaningful difference to someone who came from BMX is the chainstay length. That's true. Yeah. Like I don't it, think they notice a head angle as much because it's, it's just so. Like, the, the machine yeah. is so different. Like yeah. head angle and BB height and like reach. Like you don't even. I mean, you want the reach to be smaller because you're used to that. So you just size down on the frame, like you mm-hmm. said. And then chainstay length. Because, like, that's going to determine how easily you can lift that front wheel off the ground yeah. and bunny hop that thing and manual and wheelie, whatever. That's what BMX riders do, right? Yeah. Like, they're just more, they're, they're playing Nimble. with the bike. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, come, like, when that, you say that comes to mind, it's like evil bikes. Their bikes still mm-hmm. are, like, 430, 432 chainstays, where most 29ers now, especially modern, because the front end's growing, so the rear end has to go to compensate. I'm even close to, like, 440, 445 for some of those new modern, like, aggressive race bikes where yep. 
evil still in that 430 number so yeah different brands have like different ideologies right i mean mm -hmm. i think years ago we were making those youtube videos comparing like yetis to evils and kind of takeaway from those videos was like well yeti's slogan is what race built race bread or something race, yeah, yeah race, race bread since bread, 85 yeah so like they're yeti's like building their bikes for racers because they want them to go really fast in race situations and like evils building their bikes for a different situation yeah for having fun pedaling, yeah just pedaling up a fire road and then just slashing corners and doing yeah. stoppies and mm -hmm. gutties and whatever so yeah so you'll probably gravitate more towards one brand than the other when it That's comes true. to some geo things it's true but a lot of it's like chain stay length i think and sizing down and the various mods you said yeah so, yeah, what do you, did you ever ride BMX bikes, Jared? Back at like, oh man, back in the day. I mean, I think I probably stopped when I tried to start doing bar spins and I started eating shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I definitely, I rode a little bit of BMX, but not yeah. enough to where like I could call myself like an ex-BMX or like Raymond or, yeah. you know, Liam or whatever. You rode moto more so, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, a little more moto and yeah, I definitely like, you know, bring my BMX bike just to, like, you know, mess around in the desert or whatever. Mm -hmm. But yeah, definitely like it was not good enough. Like, yeah, we would just mess around, like build jumps here and there, like before dirt yeah. jumping was a thing, right? Like we just rode our BMX on dirt jumps. Yeah. yeah. And actually Raymond's still an incredible BMXer when oh, he yeah. does ride. Right. He's yeah. a beast. He just landed a backflip last week. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh yeah, I'm a little rusty. I'm like, yeah, well, dude, you're doing backflips. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, you shred. Come on. Let's be real. Oh man. That sounds dangerous. Yeah. I don't want to do that. Yeah. You could probably do one too. Speak for yourself. Yeah, I don't know, man. Backflips. That's risky. Can <laughs> you get Jeff out to the uh, local jump park on his, right? on his BMX bike? Or Dude, dirt I jump can't bike. ride a BMX bike anymore. Dirt jump bike. We went to the skate park like two years ago. When did yeah. we go? Two years ago. We have a sweet local dirt jump park, Sapoy. I've never even been. And you have a but sweet we did dirt jump bike. The, we did go to the skate park down the street. Yeah. You and I, remember? Yeah, we and did. And Raymond. Yeah. Yeah, we all went. The Wendy one? Or uh, Reno? Yeah, Borchard, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. It's a sad excuse for a skate park, but <laughs> it's something. Yeah, yeah. there you it's go. Still fun. Yeah, you got a sweet dirt jumper. You should, you know. I know. I don't ride that bike enough, but I do like it. I mean, the, the problem with dirt jumpers, if you build a nice one, no one's going to buy it from you <laughs> for like even any remotely a reasonable value. So I'm just going to probably keep that thing until I'm in the grave. Yeah. So I like that bike. It's smart. Yeah. I'll ride that at some point. I don't know when. But <laughs> I've been saying that for a while. Eventually, it's sweet. Yeah, maybe in the winter. Yeah. I'll ride it in the winter. There you go. <laughs> Long enough for everybody will forget about that promise. Uh, totally. Uh, <laughs> well, Mike Finch, hopefully that helped you out and made sense. And uh, yeah, there you go. If you're a former BMXer, there are some tips on that. And other than that, that's it. That's all for episode, what was this? 83? 83. Of the MTB podcast. I would like to think... Petals and Pints, a local brewery and restaurant here in mm -hmm. Thousand Oaks, California, because I drank just one throughout the episode of this podcast, one of their Night Rider Baltic Porters, and I feel pretty drunk. <laughs> like I'm not gonna. I'm, not gonna <laughs> I'm getting a little, oh. a little like it's eight percent. It's not that much, but it's more. Yeah. Than, it's more I mean, than Coors Light. Yeah, there you go. It's it more than Coors Light. It is a tall oh, can. Delicious. Too. Yeah. And, and it's Jeff, a Jeff's defense for listeners, it's a tall can. Yeah. It's eight percent. Yeah. Yeah, 16 ounces. 16 okay, ounces. 16 ounces. If, I'll give you right home. If you're worry. watching this on YouTube, you can see it. Uh, we do post these videos to the MTB Podcast YouTube channel uh, as well if you want to actually see our faces 
um, or just prefer to consume your podcasts through the YouTube platform, you can do that. Otherwise, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> Jared, Jared's <laughs> laughing because I said that last time. I please stole that exact phrase us. from the Wall Street Journal podcast I listen to every morning. And every other yes. podcast. Every morning. Okay. <laughs> do they have a new yeah. one every day? Dude, the Wall Street Journal does a podcast AM and PM edition every day. Wow. Two Except for Saturday and Sunday what and national that? holidays. Wow. There's a lot of stuff to talk about, I guess, in, on Wall Street. It's yeah, they do like political news and just general world news and okay. What 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 is this an advertising? Yeah, we're <laughs> future podcast. Let's wrap it up. Thanks we are, for we were listening. not paid. Thank you for listening. Thank See you, you for next listening, time. Everybody. I drink too much of this Night Rider Baltic Porter. Go out and ride your bike. We love you. I love you. you. <laughs> Goodbye. We love you. Bye.